James. Um, uh, and James is just, uh, this is our last Sunday in James. It's James chapter 5. Uh, it's been an, has this been a, a good series for you, this James series? It's been awesome for me. It's, it's about putting our faith into action, about how we live out our faith. And, and I'm all, I, I love that. I love hearing about that. I love, you know, reading about it. And, and you know, I, I try to do it. Um, and ironically, James ends this whole series with probably my least favorite subject in the Bible, and that's patience. He says, you know, we're going to do this call to action. We're going to live out our faith. And then James 5 is all about patience. So just be patient with me this morning as we wade through. Um, before we dive into this, let's just, uh, let's just lift our hearts to the Lord one more time and ask that he uh, bless the reading of the word and, uh, and the preaching. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask, Lord God, that you fill my mouth, Lord. Give me the words to say uh, that we can communicate your love, your strength, your grace, and your power to the people that are here today. Uh, Father, we ask that you open their hearts, open their minds, and uh, speak into their hearts today, um, either through something I say or just directly into their hearts, God. Uh, speak to them, give them strength, and give all of us strength and uh, empower us today to become the men and women that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, patience. Um, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, just be patient? Ever hear that? How many, how many of you have, have ever heard somebody say, good things come to those who wait, right? How many of you have heard someone say, patience is a virtue, Yeah. How many of you have wanted to punch the person in the nose who said those things to you? That's me. I mean, uh, I patience for me uh, is 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 my least favorite fruit of the spirit uh, of all time. Um, the other day, I went to the store and I thought I bought a bag of oranges, but I brought them home and my wife said, "That's weird. Why did you buy a bag of grapefruit and bring it home?" Nobody in our house likes grapefruit. I don't like grapefruit. It's sour. It's unpleasant. It's unbearably tart. I think it, grapefruit should be banned. It, it, it's fraudulent misrepresentation, right? It, it, it looks like an orange and calls itself a grape, and yet it's neither. And so it's like, why do we have this? For me, patience is the grapefruit of the Spirit. It is the, it is the one gift or, or, or fruit, rather, of the Spirit that is just hard to swallow. Um, I, like probably most of you, or my, many of you, I like things to happen when I want them to happen the way I want them to happen. And if that's not, if you're acting like that's not you, I just don't believe you. You're not, you're just not that spiritually laid back. We're, we're all like that, that children's character. I remember growing up, there was a character, and she used to say, I want what I want when I want it, Right? Patience is not easy. And yet in this letter about action, James ends the letter in this fifth chapter by saying, be patient, brothers and sisters. Be patient, he says, until the Lord's coming. You can throw that verse up there. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Be patient until the Lord's coming. And so we say, okay, so how long is that? Like how long do you want us to be patient, right? Right? 
until the Lord's coming? Okay, so basically he's saying be patient until there's no need for patience because time will have ended, history will be done, and we'll be in eternity. So be patient forever, brothers and sisters. Thank you, James. I have trouble being patient for 60 seconds. I started a, uh, uh, a workout regime like a month or month and a half ago at the YMCA, and it's a boot camp, and it starts at 6 o'clock in the morning. And these guys in this boot camp are dead serious about start time. You know, I thought I was like prickly about starting times. These guys are, if you show up at 6.01, you will be judged they will be looking at you. They will already be working out, and daggers of judgment will come from their eyes because morning people, as everyone knows, are more judgmental than everyone else. One pastor said there are two kinds of people in the world, those who love to get up in the morning and those who hate those who love to get up in the morning. And so the other day I'm going to the Y, and usually if I leave at like 5.15, I, I get up at 5.15, kind of get ready, get on the road by 5.45, race down to the Y. If I catch every light, right, cut a couple corners here and there, I'll get there at about 5.58. That gives me enough time to get into the Y. It's check-in is easy. You just show them your card. They beep it with a little laser. Beep, you're in. Throw my stuff in the locker, and then I just saunter in as if, you know, I've been up for a couple hours, right, because I want to I prove to these morning people that I'm not lazy. And so the other day I got up and I kind of got started a little bit late, got distracted. I think Facebook or something caught my attention and took me sideways for a minute. Got a little bit of a late start, rushed down to the Y, you know, got a couple of lucky breaks on the lights, maybe got a little heavy on the, on the gas, but got there, got there, and it was like 5.59. And, it, and I'm like, I'm going to make this. And I run, run out of the car, run into the Y, burst through the front doors, and there's one person in the line, in the check-in line in front of me, just one person. And it's this sweet lady. She's little. She's elderly. She's got this crushed velvet, you know, jumpsuit on. She's got, she's got these brand-new white sneakers that, they, you know, they'd never tread harder than, you know, just like, like slippers. She's got her makeup on. Like, she's just there, and things are cool for her. She's probably been up since four, right? She probably slept three hours. So I come running up, and I'm, like, right behind her, and I'm thinking, okay, all she has to do is just beep, and then she's in. So I, I stand just a respectful distance behind her. Um, but then I realized that, you know, she actually wants to have a conversation about some of the nuances of membership at the YMCA. And, and I'm standing there, and I, I can hear her say, now, if I wanted to terminate my membership, how, you know, how long in advance should I do that? The lady's like, well, you need to do that by the 20th of the month. And she says, well, what if I do it at the 21st? Well, then it'll roll over into the next month. Well, if I do it on the 19th, can I come the last 10 days? Yes, you can come the last 10 days. Do I need to pay extra for that? No. But if I come on the 21st, I can come for another month? Yes. Do I need to pay? No, you didn't. And like for me, like I'm like the clock is ticking. The seconds are passing. I'm starting to hyperventilate. I'm getting that feeling in my heart, you know, like your blood pressure starts to pump. Your face is getting hot. And when I say your, I mean my. Like I'm like dying here. I hadn't had my coffee yet. And what I meant to do was to gingerly just say, uh, excuse me, do you mind if I just go ahead and check in while you guys are talking? I'll just go ahead and, buy, you know, beep my card and it'll be cool. That's what I meant to sound like, you know. 
but the, the, the impatience had welled up, and I was like, excuse me, can I please check in and uh, pardon me, you know? And um, I could tell, like, I had gone over the top because, like, everybody was totally silent. Everybody behind the desk, they're like, that guy is like a royal jerk to this sweet little lady who just had a couple questions about her membership. So patience is not, um, not my virtue. <laughs> um, and the Bible assumes that patience isn't easy. I started to look, as I was thinking about and preparing, I started to think, all right, what's a good, what's a good Bible character who can personify, you know, the, the, the requirement for patience? And I started looking, and it's like every single Bible character in the Bible is someone who had to struggle with patience. God required them. I, I looked at, in, from the very beginning, Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. It took decades between the time of the command to build an ark and the time of the flood. Joseph, we've talked about Joseph. Joseph had a dream of greatness and leadership and really was, had a vision for what he wanted to do and be in life. And God sidetracked him. He was sold into slavery. He had to go and he went and was falsely accused and betrayed, ended up in prison. Years of his life passed by before he got to fulfill what God had called him to do. King David. King David was anointed king, and he should have been able to transfer right to the throne, but he ended up having to run from King Saul for over a decade after having been anointed king, year after year after year. Moses wanted to free the children of Israel, and yet God put him out on the backside of a wilderness for 40 years years. Four decades of his life was spent tending sheep and waiting for God to call him to be and do what he had called him to do. The Bible is replete with story after story that requires the characters in the Bible to exercise and develop patience. God, like he forms a diamond, has determined that it takes time and pressure to form you and me, to form our character into the men and women that will radiate his glory on the earth. Patience. He's calling us to that. Brian Loritz, uh, pastor of Memphis, uh, Memphis Fellowship in Memphis, says we do not get to God's delivery room of blessing until we have spent time in God's waiting room of patience. His waiting room of patience. We all have a delivery room of blessing that we want, that we're striving for. But all of us, to some extent, are in the waiting room of of God's patience, calling us to develop patience in our lives. I don't know what waiting room you are in today. It may be your career. You have a trajectory in your mind, a path that you want to follow. And it's just not there. You're here, you want to be there, and it's taking you longer to get there than you want it to. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe you are single and you want to be married, and you're wondering when this unbearable loneliness will end. Or maybe you're married, and you're thinking, when will this unbearable loneliness end? Your relationship is on the rocks, and you don't know how you will get through it. Maybe you're going... Uh, 
to school and you're just desperately trying to get your career on track and you just want to get that degree and move on with your life and it's just taking a long time or there's a habit in your life that just won't go away or a child that you just wonder when will that child, when will he or she see the light of day? They've been floundering in the darkness and confusion for so long. What waiting room are you in today? Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a guy named Abram. I may end up inadvertently call him Abraham from time to time. He ends up being named Abraham later. But when we meet him, his name is Abram. And Abram is this Bible character that is extremely wealthy and extremely powerful. Abram has hundreds of servants. He has thousands of head of cattle and camels and donkeys. He has a trained militia to protect him. He's got a beautiful, gorgeous wife that's just in the inside and out. She's, she's stunningly beautiful. He's got prestige. He's got wealth. He's got influence. He's got power. He's got every single thing that a man of his era could want, except for one thing. He and his wife, Sarai, who later is named Sarah, he and Sarai have been trying to have a child. For years, they've been trying to have a child. But year after year, nothing happens. They don't ever seem to have a child. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, when Abram is getting up in years, God appears to Abraham in this startlingly beautiful and brilliant way. And God appears to Abram and says, I, Abram, I am going to make of you a great nation. I, your offspring, he said, look, Abram, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. Your children are going to inhabit all of this land. Your children will be like the dust of the earth. They will populate the entire earth. He took him outside at night and he said, look at the stars, Abram. Your children and your children's children will be like the stars of the sky. And the whole world through them will be blessed. Imagine Abram's excitement. Imagine the ecstasy that he experienced upon that encounter with God. And then imagine what it was like for him to go to Sarai, his wife, and say, you're not going to believe this. We've tried for years to have a child, and I just heard from God that we are not only going to have a child, but that we're going to have, uh, uh, that, that our children's and children's children and their children will populate the earth, and God will bless the entire earth, all nations, through us, through our offspring. And imagine her excitement. I, I see them like embracing and so excited that this is about to happen. And so in the coming days and in the coming weeks, they start to think about what do we name the child? And what is our child going to be like? And maybe during the weeks after this announcement, Sarai began to like check and, and try to determine whether she was feeling anything in her body that would signal that she was pregnant. And maybe glances from Abram from time to time as if to say, is it happening? And no, not yet. And then these weeks are, are going along and the excitement you know, starts to turn to just a little bit confusion when the weeks start to turn into months and nothing happens. And then the months turn into another month and then another month and then another month. And Abram and Sarai don't talk about the baby quite as much now because they're not quite certain about what's going on or why this isn't happening like the way they thought it would. 
And then the months then turn into a year. And then a year turns into another year. And then into another year. And now they don't talk about the baby at all. And they're not sure what happened to God's promise. And they're waiting. James writes to the Christians. And in this book, he's writing to them. They're scattered throughout all of the Roman Empire. And they're undergoing intense pressure and suffering and hardship. They're, they're being abused and oppressed by people that are wealthy and more powerful than them, and they're experiencing this suffering and this struggle. Uh, and so James writes to them, and in this letter, he's revealing the first principle of patience, of God's patience, and that is that patience develops only in adversity. Patience develops only in adversity. We don't develop patience when things are going our way. We don't develop patience when we're doing okay. We only develop patience when we're struggling, when we're experiencing hardship, when we're experiencing adversity. James uses this great word for patience. And allow me to geek out in the Greek out for just a minute here. The word he uses is macrothumeo. Macrothumeo. He's combined two Greek words. Macro means what you think it means. Macro means big or large or long. Okay? Thumeo means anger. And so he's using this word that means take a long time to get angry. Spend a long time before you allow the agitation and the frustration and the anger and the bitterness and the cynicism to rise up in you. It can be interpreted long-suffering. You may have to suffer, he's saying, but exercise macro thumeo. Exercise patience. Wait with a sense of contentment and peace and equilibrium, he says. In verse 7, he says, he uses this great uh, uh, analogy. He says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, he says, be patient. Be patient. We don't want to wait for things to develop. We want to go in. We've planted the crop. We've watered the crop. We want to reach in and pull the crop up. And he's saying we can't do that. Patience, he's saying, number two, principle number two, requires humble submission to God's timing. We don't want to wait for the butterfly of our dream to emerge. We want to break open the cocoon and pull the butterfly out. We don't want to wait for the flower to bloom. We want to peel open the petals so that we can see the flower. We don't want to wait for the diamond to form. We want to go and get the cubic zirconia, and that'll be okay for us. But when we do, we kill the butterfly. And we destroy the flower. And we derail our mission. And we become a cheap replica of the man or the woman that God has called us to be. Because God is calling each and every one of us in the challenges and the adversity and struggles of our life. Sometimes he's calling us to wait on his timing. Abram and his wife, they got tired of waiting. They got frustrated. They got angry. They wanted to shift gears, hurry this thing up, and do it their own way. And so after a decade of waiting, the flame of hope died down to a smoldering ember for them. And they said, look, we're going to take matters into our own hands. Ten years after the promise, 
Ten years they had been waiting. And finally, Sarah, Sarai comes to Abram. And in Genesis 16, 2, she says, Behold now, Abram, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, she says. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. In other words, she's saying, Abram, God's forgotten his promise to us. Or maybe you didn't hear him right. Or maybe we're just dreaming this up. But we need to take matters into our own hands. Go into my servant. Sleep with her. Maybe she can bring us children. And so Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And he went into Hagar. And she conceived. But here's the problem when we take matters into our own hands, when we do things our own way, when we sidestep the patience, when we speed up the process, things don't turn out the way we want. Hagar conceived a child. What do you think that did to Sarah or Sarai? She was ticked. She was jealous. She was angry. Chaos erupted in the house. There was confusion. Instead of things getting better, things got worse. They were better off before it just blew up the whole situation. Because when we try to hurry God along, we make things worse, not better. And then, by the way, we end up coming back to the place that we were and having to do it all over again. We live in an instant gratification world. That's us. We like, we've got our cell phones. We've got computers. We've got Facebook. We just want constant gratification, constant stimulation. There's some researchers who have actually done some work in this area, and they call the, the condition uh, that people who are addicted to technology, people who are always looking, you know, surfing the web and always seeking that next image or whatever— they, 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 they call the condition that happens to their brain, they call it popcorn brain because the synapses in your brain. Shine <laughs> uh, just said popcorn. He's just like, what? Um, yeah, man, popcorn brain. Um, and, and, and because the synapses in your brain are firing. They've done MRIs on college students who are spending hours every day online uh, who just like can't stop, like can't turn it off can't just stand under a tree or sit on a bench. Um, we all can find ourselves doing this. You know, I, this week, I, you know, I'll look to see if I have any emails in my phone, and then I'll put my phone down, and then I'll look again, and it's been like, it's been like 90 seconds. It's like, oh, okay, still no emails. Okay. Um, or, or the one email that I want. Like, I got 10 emails that I didn't, but then I got, uh, where's the other one? Anyway, um, what happens is when we do this, um, the dopamine cells in the pleasure center of your brain uh, multiply, and so you get, um, you get addicted to this immediate gratification. And over time, it actually changes, physically changes the structure of your brain. They found that the students that are addicted to the constant gratification of technology are actually losing gray matter. That's the stuff that makes you think right. <laughs> makes you think good is what the gray matter does. Our aggressive need for instant gratification not only makes us more anxious, more depressed, unwilling and unable to engage, less emotionally aware, it turns out it's also making us dumber. We need to slow down. We need to slow down. We're like the guy who said, God, I want patience and I want it now. Or the guy, I like the guy who said, God, how long is a million years to you? And God said, a million years to me is just a second. And he said, God, how much is a, a million dollars to you? 
And God said, a million dollars to me is like a penny. And the man said, God, can I just have a penny? And God said, sure, hold on just a second. And that one's like a slow, that's like a slow roll. People are like, oh, a second million. I got it, got it, got it. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> stay on the notes, Rome. Okay. Our tendency is to allow the waiting to turn us bitter and angry. When we wait for a long time for God to fulfill the thing that we think we want him to fulfill, we can become calloused, we can become cynical, we can become jaded. And almost as if James anticipates this tone in our heart, he immediately after commanding us to be patient explains that patience isn't an action It's an attitude. In other words, you're going to wait either way. It's how you wait that matters. Are you going to wait with anger and bitterness and despair? Or are you going to wait with contentment and peace and joy? In verse 8, he says, be patient. Then he says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You see, what James is saying here is that we shouldn't allow the waiting to turn us into negative, grumbling, angry, complaining, bitter people. He says, I want you to wait in harmony. I want you to wait in love. I want you to wait when you're waiting and you have to wait. Wait with contentment. One... uh, um, a writer said that Christian patience is not a mere yielding to necessity. It is a humble acquiescence in the wisdom and the will of God with an eye to a future glorious recompense. We wait with joyful anticipation, not as those who do not have hope. We wait because we trust that God will make the seed grow. We trust because we believe in a God and we wait with patience because we believe in a God who loves us, who wants what's best for us. And if he's waiting, he's forming something in us that is more powerful and more important than the thing that we want for us. He's doing something powerful and mighty inside of us. Nelson Mandela, who knew a little bit about waiting, having spent decades in prison, wrote, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping that it will kill your enemies. It just, it just takes you down. I have, um, you guys know my, some of you know Jameson, my, my five-year-old. And the other day I heard him and Lincoln, and they were arguing, and Jameson was being kind of mean and taking some Legos and stuff. And so I come walking in, and, you know, they know immediately. I just walk in. I just, I don't have to say anything. I just walk in and look. You know, and they're like, uh. And um, so I said, Jameson, you know, I want you to go sit in the corner for a minute. So he throws down the Legos. He gets up. He sits in the corner, folds his arms, does the wrinkle nose thing, does the mean mugging thing, humph, you know, that kind of thing. And I, like, I heard my parents speaking through me. Uh, I was like, okay, you, you can have that attitude, but you're going to stay in the corner as long as you have that attitude. So you're going to actually extend the waiting by the attitude with which you wait. Um, I think James is sort of implying or hinting when, he, when he's talking about the mumbling and grumbling. He's, it's, it's a reference back to the children of Israel. God pulled them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery, 
And it was no time at all until they began to mumble and grumble and complain and whine and moan. And, and they were bitter and they were angry. And God said, you know, at one point they said, the, 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 the Hebrew children said, you know what, it would be better if we were back in Egypt as slaves. They said that. And if I was God, I would have been like, there's the door. <laughs> back you go. Um, but God had patience on them. But what he did was he said, okay, we need to take another track around the wilderness. We need to just do another lap because we need to work this out. We need to get this out. And we need to get your heart right before we come into the promised land. Because the promised land is cool, but the promised land is going to be there. What I want to do is I want to get your heart right. I want to turn you into something beautiful. I want to make you into something radiant and glorious and strong and powerful. I'm doing something in you that's more important and more powerful than the thing I'm doing for you. That's how I see this passage. James is saying, how do you wait? Can you wait with trust? Can you wait with hope? Can you wait with contentment? In Genesis chapter 17, Abram is now 99 years old. He's been waiting for 25 years from the time of the promise until now, 25 years. And in those years, Abram has learned a lot. He's learned to trust in God. He's learned to rely on God. He's learned to obey God. He's been through battles. He's been through hardship. He's been through disappointment. And the Bible says that he believed in God. He kept his trust in God. And God counted it for his righteousness. Abram walked it out. He kept the faith. And so 25 years after the initial promise, God appears to Abram again. And he says, hey, Abram, it's time. I'm going to name you Abraham, and it's time for me to fulfill the promise that I made to you 25 years ago. And I'm going to give you a child, you and Sarah. How do you think Abram responded? Like, you know, he could have, he could have gotten angry and shaken his fist at God and said, why did you make me wait for 25 years? Or he could have rolled his eyes and said, yeah, right, God, whatever. You said this 25 years ago. Or he could have just gotten, he could have ignored God. Like the pain of hearing this promise again was too much and just, I can't, I can't think about it. I can't hear it. But the Bible describes his response and it's a really interesting and surprising response. The Bible says that Abram fell down on the ground and started laughing. He started laughing. It was, he couldn't believe it. His heart was filled with joy and filled with gratitude and surprise and hope. And he said, God, he he just couldn't believe it. The Bible says that he laughed, but he believed. But he believed and he obeyed. Um, God showed up 25 years later, 10 months after that encounter. Sarah gave birth to a little boy, and she named him Isaac. And Isaac in the Hebrew means laughter. Because she said, God has made laughter for me. I want to encourage all of you today, those of you who are in the midst of challenges that you just cannot see the end of. You're experiencing trying circumstances and you don't know how you're going to get through them. You're wondering whether God is ever going to show up. I want to just encourage you today that if you'll put your trust in him, 
he will bring you through his waiting room and into his blessing room. And it may not be the thing that you wanted, but it's going to be forming something in you that's just better than the thing you could have imagined. If you'll just place your trust in him. The scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll walk and not be weary. They'll run and not faint. The waiting itself makes you strong. In the waiting itself, you are becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And I'm going to close with this little anecdote. Rebecca, if you want to come up. Um, There was a young man uh, who heard from God. And in this hearing from God, uh, God said to this man in this parable, he said, I want you to go out into the field and I want you to push this rock. And there's this huge rock out in this field. And the man goes out into the field and he pushes the rock, but the rock doesn't move. And so he goes back the next day and he pushes the rock and it doesn't move. And then week after week, he goes out month after month and he pushes the rock and he pushes the rock and he pushes the rock. Years now have gone by. The rock has not budged. And finally, he's just so overwhelmed and frustrated. He turns to God and he says, God, I've been pushing this rock for years and nothing has happened. It hasn't moved. And God said, I didn't ask you to move the rock. I can move the rock. I asked you to push the rock. He said, look at your hands. Look at your arms. Look at the strength in your chest. Feel the muscles in your back. Feel the muscles in your legs. I'm developing you into the man I want you to be. I've got other stuff for you to do, and now you're strong enough to do it. Let's go, and let's do what I've called you to do. Sometimes God puts you in this waiting season so that he can develop you into what he wants you to be. Can you put your trust in him? Can you rely upon him? Can you count on him? Can you lay down your own pride and say, God, I don't completely understand why I am in this particular situation right here, right now, but I trust in you. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose and a mission for every single person in this room. I don't think you're an accident. I don't think your life is accidental. I think it's on purpose. And I think it's part of God's providential plan. And if you're waiting, it may be that God is is testing you or pressuring you or giving you some time to develop into who he wants you to be. Let's trust him today. Spend some time this week put down the cell phone, put down the computer, spend a little time in his word, spend a little time praying, talking to somebody, getting in a life group, getting involved, you know, and and, and let's, let's figure out and let's spend some time with God and let him form us into the men and women that he wants us to be. Can we do that? Let's do that. Amen. Amen. So James, James kicks us off with inspiration and he ends us with a challenge he ends us with the challenge of go and do what i've called you to do and when i'm calling you to wait 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 with patience so that you can become strong to fulfill your purpose on the earth let's let's bow our heads heavenly father we come to you today with this challenging sermon in our ears and your word in our ears and we say god we trust you If there are things, if there are attitudes that we need to address and change so that we can get out of this holding pattern, 
reveal them to us, God, and help us to change them. God, if there are just things that we need to wait on, we've done everything that we can do, and now we just have to turn it over to you. Give us the humility and the courage to do that. Help us, Lord, not to turn in on ourselves and drink the bitter poison of of disharmony uh, and grumbling and complaining. But, God, help us to move forward gently and courageously with peace and contentment in our hearts. In all things, we are content in you. You, God, are enough for us. You are enough for us. Everything we need is in you, and we trust in you with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.